Thanks. G'day. It's good to see you. Uh, welcome. Great to have you here. Uh, we're in our two-week mini-series in the book of Haggai. Uh, have that open in front of you. That'd be great. Uh, we're going to work through chapter two together. Uh, before we do, let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of Haggai. and We pray that you would speak these words afresh to us today. We pray, show us your grace, show us your mercy, and give us a vision for your unshakable kingdom that you are bringing through uh, your Son, our King, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Uh, well, I want to start by exploring the relationship between obedience and blessing. Uh, in other words, to what extent do our actions and our attitudes uh, influence the way God does or does not bless us? Uh, does God pour out blessing when we live in accordance with his will or bring curse and suffering when we live out of step with it? Um, now, just quickly, uh, I'm not talking about uh, when our actions might lead to some direct consequence. It's what you might call kind of natural consequence, uh, which says that if you do foolish things, sometimes uh, bad things will happen. If you speed, you might crash uh, or get fined. Uh, it's just a natural consequence. Uh, and there is a sense in which kind of uh, God does know how life works best because he made it. Uh, and so we should expect life to work best when we live his way. Remembering that, you know, sin frustrates things, so stuff doesn't work out as well. But that's not the question I'm asking today. Uh, the question I want to ask today is whether uh, God can bring about something in your life that doesn't directly flow from our actions and attitudes. Does God respond to obedience in one area of life by bringing about blessing in another area? Uh, or does he bring about something like sickness in response to disobedience in a totally unrelated area? That's the question I want to explore today. Uh, and it's worth saying that there's kind of a couple of different ways that people might answer this question. Uh, and so on one side, you've got those who'd see a pretty strong relationship between obedience and blessing. And so they might say, if you have enough faith, if you live in accordance with God's will for your life, then God will bless you with abundance and victory. And your faith and the way you live is what brings about God's blessing in your life. Uh, there's a negative side to this that says that if you lack faith, if you live out of step with God's will, then God will bring about suffering, hardship, ultimately a kind of a curse in your life. Um, i got a friend. Uh, she has struggled kind of on and off with cancer throughout her whole life. Uh, a few years ago, she started going to a new church, uh, and she was told that the reason she had cancer and wasn't being healed was because she didn't have enough faith, and she was living it out of God's will. Um, and so I hope you can see kind of how harmful, destructive that can be, because they were saying, basically, her cancer is her fault. Uh, it says that if you live a certain way, if you have a certain attitude, you get good things, and if you don't, you miss out. That way, I think he sees a pretty strong relationship between obedience and blessing. On the flip side, there are those who would say, no, there's basically no relationship between how you live and how God treats you. Uh, sometimes good stuff happens. Sometimes bad stuff happens. But that isn't somehow God responding to the way you're living your life. Uh, the danger there is that actually it leaves us with a God who's distant, um, cold, and impersonal, a God who doesn't at all respond to who we are and what's actually going on in our lives. So which is it? 
what's the relationship between obedience and blessing? Is there a relationship at all? And what's more, I reckon that on the whole, we as Christians aren't all that clear on what the Bible actually teaches when it comes to this question. Think about the book of Job. So Job was a man, he suffered immensely. Um, He lost his kids, he lost basically all of his wealth. Uh, But we're told that wasn't because of anything he did. Uh, Job's friends actually made the mistake of trying to connect his suffering to some kind of disobedience. Uh, And God shows up and he says, no, there is no link. Uh, It was simply the work of Satan under God's sovereign rule. So that's Job who seems to say, no, there's no relationship. But then there's a book like Haggai, which we're looking at, which seems to say, yes, there is a link. Come back with me to the passage uh, we read last week. Notice the connection between obedience and blessing. Haggai chapter 1, 9 to 10. God says, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. Notice the link there. Because of you, God cursed these people, brought about a drought and a famine in response to their disobedience. So which is it? Is it Job who says, no, there's no link? Or is it Haggai who seems to say, yeah, there is a link? Um, Can you see the tension there? What do we do with that? That's what I want to explore today. Uh, What we're going to do is we're just going to work through Haggai chapter 2. We'll keep it pretty simple. Uh, First, we'll try and explore what's actually going on in Haggai 2. We'll try and kind of unpick the dynamic going on. Uh, And then we'll come around and we'll ask, well, how does what's going on in Haggai apply to us, uh, if at all, And then we'll finish with some conclusions. So let's jump into Haggai. Work out what's going on there. Um, We'll start with a bit of context. Uh, You might remember from last week, uh, people in Haggai's day, they've just come back from exile in Babylon. So they've come back to Israel and now they're rebuilding their ruined city. And so they start building the walls of Jerusalem. They build their own homes. Now they start building the temple, but they pretty quickly give up on it. Uh, And so the temple lies as ruins for nearly 20 years. Uh, And it's at that point God sends the prophet Haggai. Uh, And so on the 29th of August in the year 520, he speaks his first message to the people. Uh, We know the date because Haggai dates all these messages. And in this first message, he says, All right, guys, time to stop building your own houses. Come, let's build the house of the Lord, the temple. Uh, What we saw last week as well is that they actually responded in obedience. Uh, And so we're told, end of chapter 1, on the 21st of September, they began to work on the house of the Lord. It's all chapter 1 last week. What about chapter 2? Well, in chapter 2, we get uh, another three messages from Haggai. Uh, And so uh, nearly a month after they start working on the temple... Haggai gets up with his second message. Uh, It's October the 17th, which is in nine days, uh, two and a half thousand years ago. Um, In this second message, 
Haggai, he can see the people are losing motivation. They're starting to become discouraged in this work. So he gets up and he says, guys, keep going, keep working because God is with you. Uh, You can see it there, verse 4 of chapter 2. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. And Haggai, he goes on to say that they should keep working because there will soon come a day when God will pour out his blessing on them. Uh, You see it, verse 9. The glory of this present house, the temple that they're building, will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. It's the word shalom, declares the Lord Almighty. Uh, And so that's Haggai's second message. Keep going. Blessing's coming. Uh, Now, uh, scroll forward another two months uh, to December 18, and a few things actually happen on that same day. First thing is, that's the day when they lay the foundations for the temple. So everything up to this point has just been prep work. Uh, And then this day uh, is when they actually lay the foundations. Uh, If you've got your Bible there, you'll see that verse 18. But on this same day, uh, Haggai also gets up and he speaks two more messages. Um, We'll come back to the fourth one a bit later. Let's jump into that third message and work out what's going on there. Uh, In this third message, Haggai does a couple of things. Um, First, he gets them to think back to the time before they laid the foundations, uh, before that day. So everything up to that point, he says, think about that time. What was it like? Uh, And he points out that they've been through a time of poverty and need. Uh, And all of this happened because they have been disobeying God by refusing to build the temple. Uh, You can see all of that from verse 15. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. Uh, When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat, a wine vat, vat, um, to, (laughs) to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the works of your hands with blight, mildew and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Can you see the dynamic going on? Uh, God is responding to their disobedience by bringing a kind of curse, um, kind of material suffering. Um, I think that's also what's going on with that funny section about consecrated meat, touching a dead body, you remember that? Um, Just quickly, Haggai is pointing out that according to Old Testament law, um, ritual holiness, holiness is not contagious, but ritual uncleanness is contagious. Uh, and so if you, um, if you touch something that's ritually unclean, like a dead body, then that impurity spreads. Uh, that's his point. Uh, and his point is that they, these people, have been an unclean people. And so everything they've touched, everything they've worked on, has been unclean. It's spread. Uh, you see it there, verse 14. Haggai said, Uh, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Uh, Again, it's just reinforcing the point that they have been disobeying God. And this is why they've been going through so much suffering. 
uh, their disobedience has led God to bring a kind of curse on them in the form of poverty, drought, famine. But all of that is now in the past. Because the next thing Haggai does is tell them what lies in their future. Um, Have a look from verse 18. From this day on, uh, from this 24th day of the ninth month, which is December 18 in our calendar, uh, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, as in the day when Haggai's saying this. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. But then get this. From this day on, I will bless you. From this day on, I will bless you. In response to their obedience, God will now bless them. Can you see the dynamic? Their disobedience caused God to bring curse. uh, And now their obedience has led to blessing. Can you see the link there between obedience and blessing? So what do we do with that? How do we make sense of that? Um, I think the key to understanding this dynamic in Haggai is to see that all of this is just a playing out of something called the Deuteronomy Covenant, also called the law. Uh, The Deuteronomy Covenant, it goes back to the book of Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Bible. kind of came about a thousand years before Haggai. Uh, And in this book, God lays out his covenant with Israel. It's just a kind of agreement. And in this Deuteronomy covenant, God says that um, if Israel live in obedience to his commands, he'll bless them. If they disobey, uh, he will bring a curse. Uh, You see it in a place like Deuteronomy 28. It starts like this. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I'm giving you today, that's Moses speaking, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And then it goes on to list a whole lot of blessings that God will give them, like full barns, peace from enemies, abundant crops, and so much more. Um, But then it also goes on to say, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. And then we get a long list of curses that will come on Israel if they disobey. Poverty, disease, drought, famine. And so the dynamic is, obey, be blessed, disobey, be cursed. Uh, And when we get to Haggai, all we're seeing is just the playing out of this Deuteronomy covenant. Uh, I say that for a couple of reasons. Uh, The first is because Haggai actually mentions the Deuteronomy covenant, Uh, It's there in verse 5. God says in Haggai, um, This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. It's talking about Deuteronomy. Um, But then some of the language that Haggai uses actually comes uh, straight from the book of Deuteronomy. Um, Do you remember the whole kind of blight mildew thing? That's verse 17. That comes straight from the long list of curses. In Deuteronomy 28. Can you see the connection? Deuteronomy says, obey be blessed, disobey be cursed, and then when we get to Haggai, all we're seeing is just the playing out of that dynamic in Israel's history. That's what's going on. But the big question is, 
how does any of that apply to us? Like, does this dynamic apply to us? Uh, if so, how does it work? That's a pretty big question. Because if it does apply to us, then surely we'd also expect God to pour out material blessing on those who are most faithful. Uh, have you ever gotten to a verse in the Bible? Uh, in the Bible, uh, And it basically says, obey and be blessed. And have you ever been unsure what to kind of do with that? Is that true for me? Uh, what does that mean? Should I expect abundance, peace in my life if I'm faithful? So what do we do with this dynamic that we see in Haggai and Deuteronomy? Um, just at one level, have you noticed how we often apply it at an individual level? Whereas the Deuteronomy covenant actually applied to Israel as a whole nation? Yeah, interesting. Um, apart from that, I think the key to unlocking all of this is actually to understand something of how the Old Testament works. Um, see, the Old Testament, think about the Old Testament. It's full of physical and tangible signs that point forward to the ultimate reality in Jesus. And so last week we saw that in Haggai's day they had a literal physical building called the temple. But the point of that was to point forward to the ultimate reality that Jesus is our temple when we meet God. Um, same thing for things like priests, sacrifices. In the Old Testament, you get very physical, tangible priests and sacrifices. And the whole point of those things is to point forward to Jesus and the ultimate reality that he is our high priest and he is the once-for-all sacrifice. It's all about Jesus. Um, so why would God give us all these physical, tangible signs in the Old Testament? Um, I think it's so that when Jesus comes along, we can actually make sense of him. Uh, so that when he's called our great high priest, we know what that means. And when he's called our temple, we know what that means. Because we saw it play out in the story of Israel. And crucially, when Jesus comes, those physical, tangible signs, they fall away. Um, Jesus is our temple, so we don't need a temple anymore. This church is not a temple. Um, when Jesus is our high priest, we don't need anyone else to be our high priest. Um, why do I tell you this? Because I think exactly the same thing is true of the Deuteronomy covenant that sits behind Haggai. See, think with me. Deuteronomy covenant said that there would be physical, tangible blessings and curses that would come in response to obedience or disobedience. Um, it's all very physical, very tangible things like crops, peace from enemies. And it's what we see in Haggai. We're talking about vines and pomegranates and figs and um, olive oil. But like everything else in the Old Testament, the whole point of these tangible blessings and curses is actually to point forward to the ultimate reality in Jesus, which is that there is an ultimate blessing it's called eternal life, and it goes beyond anything in this world. And there is also an ultimate curse, far worse than a, a, a drought, and the Bible calls it hell. Can you see the Bible is about so much more than just physical blessings and curses? Um, and what's more, like Israel's failure to keep the covenant shows us that we could never earn the ultimate blessing through our obedience. We can't earn it. 
And so the good news of the gospel is that Jesus' obedience becomes our obedience. He wins it for us. Uh, his, uh, his death pays for our disobedience. So we can receive this blessing of eternal life. Um, now, I'm going to show you all of this in Haggai in a moment. Um, but just quickly, have a look at what Paul says in Galatians 3. As we read it, notice the language of blessing and curse. He's explaining it. Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He's talking about the Deuteronomy covenant. By becoming a curse for us. For it is written in Deuteronomy, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He's talking about the cross. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, non-Jews, through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Can you see the physical Deuteronomy covenant points us forward to the reality that Jesus brings ultimate blessing because he bore the ultimate curse for us. Can you see it's, a gospel. it's the gospel? It's a picture of the gospel. And crucially, remember that when Jesus comes, the Old Testament physical sign falls away, just like the physical temple. And so when Jesus comes, he does away with this system of physical blessings and curses because now we have the ultimate reality of life with him. Um, and to go back to the old system of physical blessings and curses is like going back to having a physical temple, offering physical animals as sacrifices. Paul says that's totally backwards. It undoes the gospel uh, because it acts like Jesus hasn't given us the ultimate reality. Um, my daughter Poppy, she's five, she's in kindy. She's, she's learning to write, which is really exciting. It's like, oh, my kid can like read and write. That's cool. Um, but you know, when kids are in kindy, they start by tracing the letters and they write between the lines. Uh, and so she practices. And when she grows up, uh, she doesn't need those lines anymore. She'll be able to write. Uh, in the Old Testament, that kind of the law of Deuteronomy is like writing between the lines in kindergarten. Uh, it's teaching us. But now Jesus has taken away the lines. He's given us the ultimate reality. It's the blessing of eternal life. And to go back to the Old Testament system is like going back to kindergarten, writing between the lines, acting like you don't know how to write. Um, it's like tracing the letters. Can you see Jesus has actually brought us the reality? He's done away with that uh, kindergarten, uh, the lines. Uh, what's the point? The Old Testament system of physical blessings and curses was given by God to point us to the ultimate reality in Jesus. And the requirement of obedience was given to show us we could never match up. We need someone else. Uh, and so Jesus comes. He brings ultimate blessing by suffering the curse that we deserve. And it's only in him that the words of Haggai 2.9 uh, 2, uh, could ever be true. From this day on, I will bless you. Uh, and what's more, that system of physical blessings and curses, it's been done away with. And to go back to that is acting like Jesus has never come. Uh, so, in answer to the question we started with, does God bless those who obey? No. Not at least in the same physical way that it worked for the people in Haggai's day. 
Why? Because we have the reality in Jesus. Uh, we can only receive it through his obedience. Uh, do you know, God doesn't treat you according to your obedience at all. Um, if your trust is in Jesus, the only way God treats you now is according, is according to the obedience of Jesus. That's why he loves you perfectly. Um, can you see, God is doing something far bigger in this world than simply dishing out material blessings and curses. He's gathering a people for himself uh, to live with him in his kingdom for eternity. That's what he's doing. Now, maybe you say, look, all well and good, but we haven't talked about Haggai for a little while. Where's this in Haggai? Uh, it's a good question. You should ask that. Um, I think there's two key ways that Haggai pushes us forward to this ultimate reality in Jesus. Two key ways. First way is that God, he kind of does speak about like this immediate tangible blessing. And so he says, look, yeah, yeah, yeah you haven't had crops at vines and stuff. Uh, and there will be a turnaround. But God also seems to speak about a far bigger plan that encompasses heaven and earth. Have a look at how God describes his plan in verse 6. Uh, Haggai says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Can you see, God's plan to bring blessing actually involves him coming to shake the heavens and the earth. Um, and he's going to catch up all nations into his plan. Um, in the New Testament, book of Hebrews, uh, the writer there actually quotes this passage. It's the only quote of Haggai in the New Testament. Um, so just look at how Hebrews picks up on that quote right there. It's a little bit confusing because Hebrews is a bit dense. See, track with it. Uh, the author says, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time... His voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. That's our quote from Haggai. Uh, now, listen to how uh, they explain it. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Author has a slightly curly way of explaining it. Uh, but can you see the point? God's plan in Haggai to shake the heavens and the earth is actually all about God's plan to bring an unshakable kingdom. Uh, a kingdom where we can enjoy eternal life, living with God for eternity. That is the ultimate blessing. Can you see it's right there in Haggai? Uh, Grace City, this is God's plan for the world. This is what he's doing in the world. But there's also a second way that Haggai pushes us forward to this ultimate reality. Uh, and this is where we come to that fourth message that Haggai preached. So remember, they laid the foundations. Haggai preached two messages. Let's look at the second one. It's the fourth of the book. Uh, it starts by saying similar stuff to what we just saw. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. It's verse 21. 
Uh, he's going to come and judge the kings and the nations of the earth. That's verse 22. But then Haggai explains who will sit right there at the center of all of God's plans. It's verse 23, very last verse of the book. This is what it says. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Notice that language of being God's signet ring. Uh, that's actually a way of speaking about the Messiah, who is God's chosen king, who's going to rule over this unshakable kingdom. And what this verse says is that Zerubbabel will be God's chosen king. Interesting. Uh, Zerubbabel. That's interesting. It doesn't seem like the right name, does it? Um, if you go out there to our kids' church, you ask them, what's the answer to the question? What's the answer? Jesus. <laughs> Always Jesus, not Zerubbabel. Um, yeah, Zerubbabel, he was the governor at the time. He was definitely not the king. And what's more, Zerubbabel pretty quickly just drops off the radar. What's going on? Uh, it's all a bit confusing. That is, until you realize who Zerubbabel's great, 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 great grandson is, and his name is, you guessed it, Jesus. Let me show you Matthew chapter 1. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, skip a few, Jacob the father of... Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Can you see it's not Zerubbabel who will be God's chosen king. It's through Zerubbabel that God will deliver his chosen king, Jesus. Can you see, again, everything in Haggai is pushing us forward to God's ultimate plan to bring blessing in Jesus. He's the one who bears the curse for our disobedience. He's the one who sits right at the center of all God's plans. And the way to be connected to him, the way for all this to be true of you, is to put your faith in him. The New Testament says that. Paul says that. Galatians 3. Put your faith in him. If you haven't done that before, why not do it today? But just as we close, let me come back again to that question we started with. What's the relationship between obedience and blessing? Because at first, it kind of sounds like Haggai saying, yeah, there is a relationship. Um, the people of his day, they suffered because they disobeyed. They started to obey. They were blessed. Um, but we also saw that this dynamic of physical blessing and curse actually falls away when Jesus comes. Because all of it was actually designed to teach us about Jesus. And so if that dynamic's been done away with, that means that we can't draw lines between people's obedience and blessing, or their disobedience and suffering. Uh, to do that is actually to fall back under the law of the Deuteronomy covenant, which is ultimately anti-Jesus because it says that what I do determines whether God blesses me or not. The gospel says, no, it's what Jesus has done that determines God's eternal blessing for you. So let me say it again. We can't draw lines between people's obedience and blessing or their disobedience and suffering. Uh, Jesus actually makes that point in Luke 13. Jesus, he's asked this question uh, about these people who were killed and their blood was mixed in with their sacrifices. Terrible thing uh, in that culture or any. 
Have a look at how Jesus responds. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Can you see what Jesus is doing? He's saying, no, you can't connect people's suffering to disobedience. But he also pushes them to confront the ultimate realities of heaven and hell. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. And so if you're here and you're suffering and you're wondering, is God cursing me because of something I've done? Then if your trust is in Jesus, I want you to know there is no curse left that Jesus has not paid for. There is no judgment left that Jesus has not removed. He removed the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And so we can't draw lines between suffering and disobedience because Jesus has already suffered for our disobedience. Now, is there still a natural consequence to some actions? Yeah. Does God sometimes discipline us out of love to make us more like Jesus? Yeah. That's over in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, if you want to chase that up. But does God curse and judge us because of our sin? No, because if our trust is in Jesus, then he's already taken it all away. On the flip side, if you're trying to live God's way or increase your faith or live uh, in line with his will for your life so that somehow he will bring about material blessing in your life, you need to know that's not how God works. He's already given us every spiritual blessing in the, in the heavenly realms. To add to that blessing is ultimately to add to the obedience of Jesus as if it wasn't enough. So we can't draw lines between obedience and blessing. God is doing something far bigger in this world. He's bringing about his unshakable kingdom so that we might be blessed eternally under the rule of his chosen king, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do not deal with us according to our sins. You don't deal with us according to our sins. We thank you for Jesus, uh, for his perfect life, that in him we can stand uh, before you confidently as your children. We pray that we would never add to Jesus' obedience, thinking that we could earn your favor. Father, ne never let us take away from his sacrifice, thinking that you've somehow kept some wrath for us. Father, Jesus is our only hope. And so we pray, set our eyes on his unshakable kingdom. We pray it in his name. Amen.